You're listening to the Audacious Church Podcast. This message was recorded live at our Chester campus. We know this is a great investment into your life. So tune in, listen up and stay focused. For any more information, visit us online, audaciouschurch.com. I don't know if anyone else did this, but we, two girls, like to wear dresses, all that. We used to literally stand at the car seat and wrestle until my mom came outside or came into the garage, and then everything changed, right? As soon as mom came out, it's like everything just changed, and we went back to being cute little girls. And because I was the oldest, I got to sit in the front seat. Because when someone comes into the room, things change. And maybe for you, you've been at work, and you've been scrolling through Instagram or Facebook, scrolling, I've definitely been guilty of this, I hope my my boss isn't listening, scrolling through the social medias, and then your boss, your colleague walks into the room, and you have never been on your mouse quick enough to get that Excel spreadsheet back on the screen, or maybe during the Olympics, you have like a little screen on one of your monitors, viewing, you know, scrolling through the PDF over here, But, you know, things change when people come into the room. Or maybe you've been laughing with your friends, joking around, and then suddenly someone else has walked in and it's just got really awkward, strange. Or maybe, like me as well, you've been on the train after a really long day at work and you're sat opposite that central reservation bit, you know. There's a seat opposite you facing you and there's no one sitting there. So you decide to yourself, I'm going to put my feet up. Right, has anyone else done that? I'm not the only one, I hope. And then the conductor walks into the room, um, into the carriage, and everything just shifts, right? Because you're like, I have to go back to normal, I have to respect my surroundings, which you definitely should do, respect your surroundings. So yeah, we have all had those times when who's in the room has changed the atmosphere, right? But we've also all been in rooms where life stuff has happened, difficult things maybe. Rooms where there's been trauma, loss and grief, rooms where that have maybe been filled with anxiety and where the four walls might have felt like they've been closing in, rooms where we may have made decisions that we've been regretful afterwards, like things that have negatively affected our future. And all of these rooms will look different for each one of you. We've all got things, maybe you can pull one to the forefront of your mind right now, things that, situations that just are traumatic and you think back to and you're like, oh... That's a sensitive one. I don't really want to think about that today, Lizandri. I've got my own one of those, right? The danger is, church, that if our sole focus is on the room and the situation, we can forget who is in that room with us. And that is Jesus. Jesus is always in those rooms with us. No matter what you've gone through, no matter the situation, the circumstance, Jesus is there with you. And we're going to look today at three things that happens when Jesus is in the room with us. So the first thing that happens is that dead things come to life, right? So we are going to be looking at, this is going to be our key verse this morning, key scripture. It's in Mark chapter 5, and it's on the Sky Bible over there for you, Um, and I'm just going to read it out. So it says this, when Jesus had again crossed over by the boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she can be healed and live. So Jesus went with him, and a large crowd followed. 
and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. A lot going on in this story, but stay with me. So when she heard about Jesus, this is the woman with the issue of blood, she came behind him because she, she had heard about him, right? She'd heard that he was a miracle worker and that he could do anything. So she came behind him and she thought to herself, if I can just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped. Now, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, and they said this to him. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? When they came to the house of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and he said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child isn't dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. So Jesus took her by the hand and he said to her, Talitha kum, which means this, little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately she stood up and began to walk around. For she was 12 years old. And what I love about this passage is that Jairus goes from complete tragedy in one day and a few hours later he's living in triumph. Right, how amazing is that? Tragedy to triumph just in like, I don't know how long it took to go from that. Maybe it was a couple of hours, maybe it was 12, 24, I don't know. But still, one day that's all it takes for Jesus, right? A few hours and he can completely flip your situation. So I think we have all been in situations maybe over the last 18 months in particularly where We've asked the question, why bother? Like it says in that verse, why bother? Um, I could go out tonight, but I could also stay home. Why bother? I could go to church tomorrow, today, but I have my TV church at home. Why bother? I could make some new friends, but I've got some. Why bother making new ones? I could pursue my dreams, but I'm actually quite comfortable where I am. I don't know what the future holds. Why bother, right? And what the why bother question might seem fair and reasonable and maybe even sometimes comfortable in the moment. But church, I want to suggest this morning that if we live in that place of comfortableness, it's actually going to become the backbone of just complacency in our lives. We don't want that. Why, why would we want why bother to hold us back from what Jesus has for us? Now, the people in Jairus' house, in verse 35, said to Jairus, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher? Now, Jairus is in the worst room of his entire life. His daughter is dead. Like, death has already happened. Like, it's not about to happen. It has happened. She is lying stone dead, cold on the table. And he probably thought to himself, like, why bother, right? It's already happened. Why should I bother? And we've all been in seasons of life where we might have thought, why bother? Maybe today your marriage is dead or dwindling and you're thinking to yourself, why bother? What more can I do? Why bother? Or maybe you're thinking, my business is dead. There's not much more I can do. Why should I bother? Or maybe your, your dreams, you're giving up on your dreams and you, you don't know what to do anymore and you're thinking, why bother? Or maybe your family is giving up on Jesus. So there are situations and circumstances that you haven't got a hold on. And you're thinking to yourself this morning, why bother in that situation? Maybe you've even done everything that you know how to do. You've prayed, you've fasted, you've sought the Lord, you've got your friends to pray. You've done everything that the Bible says you should do, right? And still nothing's happened. And maybe you're thinking, why bother? 
But Jesus was able to resurrect and bring was what was dead to life because he was bothered, because Jairus brought him into that room and bothered him. If we don't bother Jesus, we might be holding him back from what he's actually able to do in a situation, right? Let's bother Jesus, because I will tell you today, church, he is bothered about each and every single one of you. He has got heart for you. He has got breakthrough for you. He has got testimony for you. He has got provision for you. He has got so much in store for you. And we are just standing on the surface, the brink of breakthrough. Let's step out and bother Jesus, because he is bothered with you today. He wants to bring your business back to life. He wants to bring your God dream back to life. He wants to bring your marriage back to life. Your kids who are wandering away from Jesus, he wants to bring that situation back to life today. Church, there is an encounter today to be unlocked for you. An opportunity to turn tragedy into triumph if you will bother Jesus today. Okay, the second thing that happens when Jesus is in the room is that he turns mourning into dancing. How good is that, right? Mark chapter 5, verse 35 says this. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, and said to him, your daughter is dead. Maybe think back to a time in your life when someone gave you some news um, that absolutely rocked your world. Like something that just like split your skies open and you were like, what is happening now? Um, almost 10 years ago now, I can't believe I'm saying this. Almost 10 years ago, I graduated from my BA and um, it was an amazing time. Like I loved studying because I'm a hard worker. I enjoy drawing. I'm an architect for anyone who doesn't know that. And the, the journey of architecture is a long slog. <laughs> it is a long journey. And it starts with three years at uni, which is quite normal, I think, for most degrees, unless you're a four-year or a five-year, God bless your soul. But um, with architecture, the first year counts for nothing. Like, literally, if you get a first in that first year, it doesn't matter, no one cares, right? The second year counts for 20% of your overall degree grade. You're like, okay, great, so if I do well in the second year, I can help myself towards the third year, which counts for 80%. So the third year is a big boy. And church, like, I worked really hard. I worked hard in my degree. We were those people who, the architect students, I don't know if anyone's heard this, but lawyers are over here. Lawyers work really hard, right? For any lawyers in the house, you will know it is hard work. My brother-in-law is a lawyer, and man, he is clever, and he has worked hard to get where he is. Then you've got the medical students. Any doctors, nurses in the house? You guys slave away. But then architecture is up here because we, church, the architects, we're in the, on campus 24-7. We're the building on, on the campus whose lights never go off. We're the students that are like walking around like we're sleepwalking, literally do not have a clue what's going on apart from drawing, building models, sketching, and then repeating. Anyway, so that sets the scene for you. So, I worked really well. I did quite well in my first and second year, and la, 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 it didn't count for anything, so who cares? But then in the third year, I also did quite well, and I had a good tutor who cared for me. That sounds strange, but he was really, he was good to me. He got my ideas, and he really supported me in my design skills. And um, together, we worked together, and he forecasted some good grades for me. I knew that I'd be on target for a high 2-1, maybe even a first if I really put in the work. 
So I worked really hard and I slaved away through the nights, did at least two or three all-nighters every week. It was wonderful. So then one night I was working, sitting at my computer, building some like epic 3D model experience. And then the computer crashed. And I was like, oh no, what is happening? So I was like, okay, it's about four in the morning. My parents are sleeping. There's nothing I can do. I'm just going to go to bed. <laughs> Two hours sleep, right? So the next morning, I go into uni, take my laptop with me, leave it with them. And they say to me, you have lost all of your work. That was the big news, right? It completely rocked my world. Because in that moment, I knew that everything I'd worked for for the last three years, 80%, remember, this final, like this final course that I was final year, the final project was worth 80% of the overall degree. And I just thought to myself, wow, like, this is literally, like, this is my future. Whoop. Drop it down a bin. Like, I didn't know what was happening. And that, that news shook me to the core. I literally had to stand up a week later, present my work, which was nothing, and try and sell it. But I knew that there was, like, it's horrible because my tutor had seen everything up until the day. He'd seen the progress, but when it came to the presentation, which is what you get marked on, I had nothing to give him. And um, fair to say, in the natural, I thought my world ended in that moment. I really didn't know what God was going to do, what his plans were, and I actually gave up. I was like, okay, that's architecture done. And I went in a very downward spiral. It like, messed up my life for you know six months or so. But I didn't know what God had in store. I didn't know what God had on the other side of that. And I actually, like, that, that situation led to give me space to go to Bible school a few months later, which if I'd passed, I wouldn't have done, which then I went on to do, um, went on to do my MA, which I graduated with a merit in, and then I went on to qualify, and now I'm standing here. Like, I never would have seen any of things, these things happen if I was looking at that situation back then. But I wonder how Jairus felt when he heard those words, your daughter is dead. He probably was in de despair and unbelief, shock, anger probably. He probably thought that the verdict has been delivered. It's all over now, right? What's the point? And Jairus might have even forgotten who he was in that moment. He might have completely forgotten his identity and what he stood for as a man, as a father, as a husband. But I tell you what, church, he remembered in that moment who Jesus was. He knew who Jesus was because he had the guts, even in that moment, to go and bother him. To go pull Jesus aside and take him into that room. And that is where he experienced resurrection. So Jesus spoke the words, get up, and the little girl was resurrected. Everything changed because Jesus brought, sorry, Jairus brought Jesus into that room. So Psalm 30 verse 11 says this, you have turned my mourning into joyful dancing. You have taken away my clothes of mourning and clothed me with joy. Can you imagine the celebration in that room when that little girl came back to life? It must have been insane, insane. And Jesus took Jairus's mourning and he literally flipped it over into triumph, turned it into joyful dancing in just a matter of hours. And when Jesus is in the room, he takes broken things and brings them back to life. That is what he's good at. That is who he is. That is his character. Don't let today, don't let ch church, don't let what others have spoken over your life dictate what you believe or how you approach Jesus. Hold on to who he is, his character, what he has spoken over your life. Hold on and believe the truth that he has spoken.
let him turn your mourning into dancing today. And church, we all know that sometimes we don't experience that resurrection moment that we've been hoping for. We don't all have friends or family die and they come back to life. We don't all get jobs when we're believing for. We don't all experience that resurrection moment. But we know that even in the midst of that, we might not see resurrection now. But we know that in the future, we will see Jesus come back on the clouds and he will fulfill every single word and promise that he has spoken because that is who he is. And that's what the Bible says. And we believe the Bible is true, right? Good. And the third thing that happens when Jesus is in the room is that he rewrites the declaration. Mark chapter 5 verse 39 says this. He went in and he said to them, why all the commotion? The child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. Now, I don't know if you have ever had a situation in your life where maybe someone's told you something and it's not been true. We all have that, right? Well, I have a funny story for you. So a few years ago, I went traveling with one of my best friends, Holly, and we were in Barcelona. We, at this point, we had been traveling for six weeks already. I don't know if anyone has done a long extended time of traveling. It's great, but it is exhausting. Traveling is hard work when you've got those big backpacks and you're climbing things and doing things and spending money. All the money's going down the drain. But we, um, so Holly had already had quite a rough day because she had stepped in some things on her shoe. She'd stepped on some bird poo on one foot. She had stepped in a very deep, muddy puddle. She, with the same foot, she then stepped on some gum. And then she actually went on to like twist her ankle a little bit. So she has had a very bad day. But at the start of the day, I made her promise that we could go to this place called the National Palace in Barcelona, which if anyone's been there, is very cool. It's the perfect photo opportunity, like a really, really cool situation. So we had planned, all these things happened to Holly, and I kept feeling worse and worse because it was getting to the point where we were going to start doing this travel up to the National Palace. And um, we were using, while we were traveling, we were using this app called City Mapper. I don't know if anyone's heard of it. But City Mapper basically maps the city for you and gives you journeys around and routes and tells you which buses to catch at what point, which directions. So it's really good. But on this day, City Mapper lied to us. <laughs> because City Mapper told us when we were down on the Ramblas that it would take approximately 20 minutes from there to get to the National Palace. But church, it took three hours. Three hours of catching trains, buses, and it's not that far. We could see it from where we were down at the bottom. But I, it must be the Spanish, you know, like the Spanish language translation, us in our tired traveling nature, I'm not sure. But yeah, this app lied to us. But you know what, church? Jesus isn't like that. Jesus doesn't lie because when he speaks life, we see life happen. And when Jesus enters the room where there is a declaration of death, he makes it a declaration of life. And his faith declaration in that moment, it wouldn't have been popular. And it probably wasn't believed. And it was taken as a joke. The Bible literally says that. The people laughed at him. Imagine that. He said something and they literally were like, ah, Jesus, are you having a laugh? And maybe you've made resurrection declarations in the past or over the last few weeks or maybe long gone in the past and it's just resurfaced into your mind now. And maybe people laughed at you. Maybe your friends laughed at you, your family. Maybe people were just like, what are you saying? That's never going to happen. Never, ever. 
But I want to suggest today, church, that when Jesus is in the room, that he takes a declaration of death and he declares a miracle. Because miracles are birthed in difficulty. And miracles grow in impossibility. And miracles always arrive unexpectedly. They always come when we don't expect them, right? Lee and I are believing for some big things at the moment. And we keep thinking, we're like, oh, maybe it will happen this way. Or maybe God will provide that this way. And we, then we look at each other, we're like, he's not going to do any of those things because he's God and he likes to catch us unexpected. He likes to surprise us. Let's call him Sneaky Jesus because he loves to surprise his people. What is it today, church? that you have said that Jesus can't do and he is saying that he can. What is it? Have a think, have a moment. Because each of us have got something that we've been believing for and he hasn't done it. We need to learn today to rewrite our declarations. We've got to say, my dream's not dead, it's asleep. My marriage isn't dead, it's asleep. My kids haven't run away from Jesus, they're just chilling out at the moment. My job's not difficult, it's asleep, right? We need to learn to rewrite our declarations. My finances aren't dead, they're just asleep. My hope's not dead, it's just asleep. Got to declare things, let's learn how to declare in faith. Declare who Jesus is. What declaration over your life do you need to rewrite knowing that Jesus is in the room today? church not only is Jesus in your room today but he actually wants to break you out of your room he wants to bring you out of your situation he wants to knock those walls down completely he wants to break you out of the mindset of what's dead in your life won't come back to life he wants to break you out of that thing that's holding you back for years he wants to break you out of that grief or that trauma that keeps recycling itself you know those things are hard we walk through them and they do resurface but there is an element of freedom that is going to come today in Jesus name he wants to break you out of your sickness this morning he wants to break you out of those four walls that feel like they might be closing and if you struggle with anxiety or depression this morning we're going to break that off in the name of Jesus he wants to break you out of the mindset that favor doesn't follow you because the Bible says that favor follows the children of God right favor follows each and every one of you and church Today, Jesus has got freedom for you. And he is going to break down walls in your life that you might not expect him to. But he has got something new in store. He's going to unlock some things in your lives that you have been believing for years, for months, weeks, years. He's going to do that today. But it takes you to bring him into the room so that he can knock those bad boys down. Because he is faithful to his word. He is faithful to his promises. There's no room that he, has, he hasn't been in. And there's no room that he can't go into. And there's no room that he can't break you out of. Why don't we stand to our feet in this place? Psalm 126 says this. Those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. Today, church, I want us to replace our trauma with triumph. I want us to declare with a loud voice who God is, that He is faithful, that He is moving, and that He can shift things in our lives. Let's together place what looks dead into the giver of the hands of the giver of life. Let's together replace our mourning with dancing. And let's together rewrite the declaration that has been spoken, that we've spoken that hasn't been in line with His words. 
Thank you for listening to this Audacious podcast. For any more information, visit us online, audaciouschurch.com. Thank you.